This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that you have, I have had heard from my father, I have made it known to you. You, didn't, I, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that fruit should, be, should abide, so that whatever you ask your Father in my name, he may give to you these things I command you, so that you will love one another. Word of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Sam. Well, Proverbs 18.24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And we see in this passage that that's ultimately fulfilled in Christ in verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is, what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Well, this morning as we continue our series, Gospel Matters, we, as Hugh said, we're going to be talking about how the gospel matters in friendship. And I'm going to use the phrase gospel friendship as we walk through uh, this text because I want, to, I want to make distinct the difference between just kind of just friendship in general and the friendship that Christ calls us to. Because Miriam Webster defines friend in a number of different ways. Miriam Webster would say friend uh, could be one attached to another by affection or esteem. So people you just like being around those are your friends, people, similar interests maybe, just like hanging out with them. Or an acquaintance could be called a friend. You know, we have friends on social media because you have maybe 500 of them or 1,000 of them or people you don't even know are your friends. So it could be an acquaintance. Or uh, one, one definition of friend would be one that is not hostile. Well, that's really good, like not hostile. So just like anyone could be a friend that's just not angry with you, just a casual acquaintance. Uh, one that is of the same nation, party, or group. So maybe someone you've gone to school with or in a sport with or a social club with. Maybe someone you work with could be called a friend. One that favors or promotes something like, like as a charity. Maybe you do something, a, a cause together. You work for something together. Or the last thing that they said in the, the dictionary, a favored companion. So that makes me think of like the, the kindred spirit, the person that just has all those interests that you have and you just like connect and you call them a friend. Now all those could be some kind of aspect, but the, the gospel calls us to friendship in a much deeper way than even all of those things. Because Gospel friendship 
also means family. Because Galatians 4, 4 to 6 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So the friendship that we are called to in the body of Christ is one that is also marked by family. We're in the same family. When you think about family, you know, you're always family no matter what. When I think of my brother, he's always going to be my brother. I'm always going to be his brother, no matter how annoying I have been to him or no matter how loving we feel to one another. We're, we're, we're always brothers. There's something that ties us together no matter where we live, no matter how frequently we talk to one another. We're family, and friends in the kingdom are family because Christ has paid the penalty for our sins and brought us in the family. Now, the reality is, is gospel friendship is hard because we're all adopted. We all come from different places and different situations, and so that can be messy, right? Churches can be messy because there's people in them, right? So that's just a reality, but God calls us to something significant. Christ calls us here to love one another, and we're going to need His help to do that. So before we jump into this text, let's pray. Father, we need You. We need You to love one another. We know that before this, in the text, you call us to abide in you. We need you. And so we ask you as we come with this request that you open our eyes to see Christ and that we would display Christ in our relationships with one another. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Well, gospel friendship starts with being rooted in love. Look at the text, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another. So this is not a mushy-gushy love. Love is an intentional attitude of the heart that involves our mind and our will. This isn't just something... Um, it's like just the external feelings. Even the original language speaks to something that's not just the external feelings that we feel, but it's an attitude of the heart. Because we're often told about love, that it's just this emotion that just overtakes you, right? This, oh, and you love somebody, it just kind of carries you away and it just binds you with that person. But also we're told, yeah, if you're not feeling it, just then you're done. Like, it's not really worth your time. Leave that relationship if you're not feeling that kind of love. I'm not feeling it anymore. No, the, the love that Christ calls us to is not, not rooted in the things that we feel. It's, it's deeper. It's, it's rooted in love because love is a verb. It's an action. It's not a feeling. So when it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another, the original language is speaking to uh, actions, demonstrations of that love, uh, demonstrations that come out of a commitment to love. 
because Jesus commands it. So others should see this display of our love because it it comes out of Christ loving us. And now I want to make clear, as we love one another, even though it's a command, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another. He's, he's not saying, hey, I will love you more if you love that unlovable person in your church. This, this expression of love that we have isn't earning us favor with God. Well, let's just be clear. Favor with God was earned at the cross of Christ. We have favor with God because of what Jesus has done. So we aren't earning brownie points by loving. We are displaying God's love for us as we love one another. So gospel friendship is rooted in love, but it flows out of the love that Christ has for us. So look back at verse 12 again. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And that doesn't come lightly. This comes as Jesus is teaching his disciples not long before Jesus goes to the cross. So even the disciples didn't understand the deep significance of what Jesus was saying. And that would have been brought back to their recollection after he had gone to the cross. Love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love them? He spent time with his disciples. Lots of time. They had meals together. They went on long walks together because nobody had a car. They were together fellowshipping, talking. Jesus was patient with his disciples. Jesus challenged his disciples. He corrected his disciples. He shared truth from God's word with his disciples. He, he was committed to them. I mean, he didn't just walk away when they did stupid stuff. When they would just come and make requests that you would just kind of be like, did they just, did they just ask that question? No, he continued to walk with them. He endured their imperfections. He did not reject them when they denied him. When they left him, when he went to the cross, he died for his disciples. Greater love, it says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus died for the ones he called friends. Paid the ultimate price. Not just giving his life in a way that, that maybe some bravely give their lives to serve us by serving in the military or uh, you know, the police, firemen, various different ways folks do lay down their life for us. He endured God's full and complete wrath. So we have to look at that picture when, when we're reminded that Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. John reminds us, 
Later in, in 1 John 4, verse 10, he says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's let's look to Christ as He loved us. That's what informs us loving one another. The first place to begin when we think about Gospel friendship is actually just surrendering our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first place to begin. We aren't going to be able to endure one another. Uh, We aren't going to be able to walk with one another. We aren't going to be able to care for one another if we don't start with surrendering our lives to Christ. And if you've not surrendered your life to Christ, I'd exhort you to come to the foot of the cross this morning and surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's the first step is surrendering your life to the one who gave his life for you. If we start there, then we have a place to begin to understand how is it that we're going to relate with the others that are in our midst that Christ died for. We look to him because our love should be an overflow of our fellowship with Christ. Because before this uh, passage that we're in, verse 12, if you jump back to verse 4 in, in chapter 15, it's Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So when we think about gospel friendship, when we think about loving one another, it's going to be something that we are going to need to be dependent upon Christ to do. It's something that we will learn from Christ as we delight ourselves in Christ. As I have counseled people over the years, as I've counseled friends or those in marriage counseling, the place that I often will go is the vertical relationship before we talk about the horizontal relationship. Most always you can find there's a chink in the armor in the sense where folks are not delighting themselves first. They're starting with me and not with Jesus because those that are generally who are delighting themselves in Christ discover a grace there is for one another. Discover there's a grace for their spouse or their sibling or their friend because he says, love as, as I have loved you. So if we're delighting in God, we're going to love others rightly. Now, here's an example. So if we, want, if we want someone to change, parents can feel this towards their kids. You know, want them to change. We can feel this towards friends. I want, I'm observing something. I want them to change. You know, and what they really need is a lot of truth. Right? If I just tell them enough truth, it will change them. Right? And you know, if you might see friends or you might see kids, their their eyes start to glaze over after you've shared enough Bible verses. I don't know if you've had this experience ever before, but just like if I tell you, if I beat you with the Bible enough, you will eventually change. We try to force it. In the natural, though it's, it's truth, and we should share the truth of God's word with each other. We absolutely should share the truth of God's word with each other. But when we, when we look to Christ, we realize, oh, Christ 
was patient with his disciples. That informs us to be patient. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to come and to speak so we can trust the Holy Spirit to work. We can offer things. We can walk. We can pray. It helps us to be patient with others when they want to change. Or maybe we disagree with somebody. If we disagree with somebody, we can try to convince them or we can be aware of our need for God. We can be aware we're not God. If we look vertically, because God sees all things and he knows all things. And he's always right. So I do not see all things or know all things and I'm not always right. Kind of feel like I need to have everybody repeat after me. I do not, no, we're not going to do that. But no, we don't. But he does. And Jesus obeyed perfectly. So when we look to him, it it allows us to be patient. It allows us to go, oh, okay, because Jesus knows all things. He, he created all things, and I don't. So when I am engaging with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to ask questions because I don't know. I'm not going to be quick to judge their hearts because I can't actually see and know their hearts. But there is someone who can know their hearts. And so we'll take time to understand, clarify, uh, spend time together, fellowship with one another, fellowship with one another with our Bibles open. That's how the gospel can help us because it's, it's going to be hard work to walk together. The world says, well, when it's messy, just, just walk away. Just, just kind of avoid that. Jesus doesn't say, you know, love one another Unless they're annoying. If they're annoying, it's okay, I understand. Oh, love one another when you feel like it. That's not what Jesus says. Love one another as I have loved you. And it makes all the difference when we understand that those for whom we are loving are those for whom Christ died. Now, I want to ask you to do something. I, I want you to do something that no one likes to do because they love that the chairs all face forward and that no one's looking at them but me. I want you to look around the room at each other. Okay, people in the back, don't freak out. The eye, eye contact, I want you to see the whites of other people's eyes. See the whites of eyes of someone you don't know who they are. Like, you're going to be like, oh, I don't know who that is. And, oh, that, that, oh. Okay, I know that's awkward. You can look back forward. Introverts, it's okay. Just deep breath. Those that you were connecting with in that moment are those for whom Christ died. They are those for whom Christ died died. Our love is rooted in the value that Christ had for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not in the subjective love that we might have in a given moment. It has to be rooted in the value that Christ gives. And they were valuable enough for Christ to go to the cross and pay the penalty for sin.
Jesus calls us his friends. And what does he mean by that? In the text, the Greek word, when it says, you are my friends, it describes the, the inner circle around a king. So those, the, the tight ones, the ones that he believes are safe, the ones that he gets counsel from, the ones that he's closest to, right? But the friends of the king, though they'd be close to him and know his secrets, they, they are also subject to him because he's the king. And so there's not this false dichotomy of, of being a, a friend, but also submitting so we, we can be friends with the king and serve him. So there's no conflict in that. But then Jesus then just blows even that thought out of the water because the king then becomes the servant because it says, greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. The king doesn't typically go to the front lines. The king, you keep the king safe because he's kind of given the directions that you go, but our king went to the front lines. Jesus displays a radically different posture of friendship. Because gospel friendship requires laying down our lives as Christ laid down his life laying down our lives as Christ laid down his life. His sacrifice is our model. Laying down, so the concept of laying aside, giving up our rights, setting aside our preferences for others. And remember, Jesus doesn't ask us to sacrifice any more than he has. In fact, no, no one here has had to sacrifice to the point of death or death on a cross. Jesus is going to ask you to do that because he has done that. But he does call us to sacrifice. And so we must look through the lens of Christ when we think of our brothers and sisters in Christ as we think to lay down our lives. So practically that looks like something. Loving others means things like bearing one another's burdens. If I flip over to the book of Galatians, Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So bearing one another's burdens is an expression of laying down our lives because we're choosing to experience some kind of pain so that others' burden can be lifted. Sometimes that's practical, bringing a meal when someone is walking through a trial or, or suffering or mowing their grass. Sometimes it's just sitting with them and experiencing their pain. Sometimes it's giving of our own resources so that their burden can be lifted, not based on the fact that they're going to pay us back one day, but based on the fact that Jesus paid it all. And so we offer generously because, because of Christ. So bearing one another's burdens because Christ has borne our burdens. Christ even calls us when we're weary and heavy laden that he'll give us rest to take his yoke upon us. He is bearing our burdens and so we can go and we can bear the burdens of others. And bearing it, it it's work. 
It's hard sometimes. It's going to be crying and weeping. It's going to be walking alongside. It's going to be helping them sometimes for years. Yet how do we do that over time? We do that because we look to Christ. Loving others means serving others. We're going to talk a bit more about that as we open Philippians next week, but 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You've been given gifts, not so that you can go, I got some gifts. You've been given gifts to serve others. And we want to be an encouragement to you to help you find what those gifts are. Sometimes serving others is serving others in ways where you don't feel very gifted because you're doing that just simply to serve. So serving one another, loving others means walking by the Spirit. So laying down our lives sometimes means just not giving in to the flesh in our relationships with one another. And what does that look like? If we look at the book of Galatians, chapter 5, starting in verse 16, It says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, the works of the flesh are evidence, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. As those kinds of things, if those kinds of things start to pop up, if the aroma of those kinds of things start to seep into our friendships with one another and our relationships with one another, we need to, we need to stop, go, hold on a second. I, I remember this from a list somewhere. This is, my radar should pop up. What's going on here? Lord, help me evaluate my heart. Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. If these things are starting to pop up, we want to explore that. We want to dialogue about that. We want to ask questions. Why is that going on? Because we want to be submitted to the Spirit in our relationships. Being submitted to the Spirit isn't just like when we have to navigate lust. It's in all aspects of our life, in all relationships that we have, definitely in gospel friendships. So we want to see these fruits, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So the Lord just gives us a litmus test. How, 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 what's the health of our relationships? And if we don't see that they're healthy, how are we going to pursue to say, Lord, I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to walk alongside with others to be an encouragement to them, to ask for their input, to help us walk together. Because we want to not live by the flesh, but we want to walk in the Spirit when it comes to our gospel relationships. And it's hard. And even as we we look at this text or we we consider these truths. There's going to be the temptation. The enemy's going to want to go, yep, remember that relationship that you've had? Could be recent, could be in the far past. And, and there's some conviction that you feel there. Lord, as I, as I listen to that, I don't think my relationship, look at what, what, what does the Lord want you to do? 
Because gospel relationships look different. And we want to engage with the Spirit of God and ask Him to speak to us and fill us. Those people may live far away, but they may live near, and we want to submit to His Word and love one another. Now, bringing it practically now, in the current relationships that you have, when you engage in relationships and there's a conflict about something, it could be minor, it could be major. Do I really need to get my way? Because, you know, your way is right, right? Like, that's why it's your way. That's why you do it, because it's, it's the right way. And hopefully we can enlighten others to do it our way. I'm joking. I, I don't want you to be thinking that way. No. Like, friendships thrive when we work through issues submitted to God's Spirit. And even if you're aware of relationships that you've had, or maybe that we've had as a church, we're in this text because we want to go forward submitted to Christ and submitted to His Spirit and let Christ be what's in view. Because as we overcome adversity in relationships, God works something in us and gives us a sweetness. There can be a sweetness on the other side as we press in, as we submit ourselves to Christ, as we endure the imperfections of one another. I'm not going to have you look back around, but if you looked around, the this room is not filled with perfect people. It's not. It stopped being filled with perfect people when I walked in the room, okay? So are we willing to endure those imperfections? Are we willing to, uh, as we, we look at Galatians 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Let's be committed to restore one another, like coming to one another with the heart of restoration. Because as Christ was, was calling his disciples friends, they weren't, they weren't aware but he was looking beyond them to the cross that he was going to bear. So as he called them friends, he knew the sacrifice that he was going to make. And there, there may be a sacrifice that we need to make, but let's be committed to restoration. Jesus was committed to that. Kent Hughes makes a great observation. He said, our Lord exemplified this even before the cross. Just before he gave this new commandment, he tried in every way to restore Judas. Though he knew Judas was bent on betraying him, he seated Judas next to him. Judas, Judas was at the table. A place of honor. He dipped a morsel and offered it to Judas, a custom offering of friendship. Christ was offering restoration. May we look to Christ. His loving in the kingdom is intentional. 
and sacrificial because we're part of the same family. Loving others is hard work. It's hard work. It, it is. When, whenever we have to walk together, I can think of my college pastor. I don't know how he did this because I was squirrely and quite opinionated uh, as a new believer. Um, I, I don't know how else to describe it. If you want stories, Angie can tell you them because she knew me during that time. But my college pastor, when he would come and bring correction, I, I am now in awe of how he did it because he just came so gently. I mean, I, I really deserved a good tongue lashing because I just would like spurt things off as if I knew something and I didn't know nothing. And he would just come and go, hey, do you observe this? Have you considered this? And, and it was like, like stabbing me in the front, but not stabbing me. It was more like, like a surgeon just, just gently doing some surgery as he would come and he would share this and he would bring correction to me. And when he would leave, I would want to hug him for it. And now as I look back, I could go, what, what happened there? Like I always thought correction had to be something where it was just like, Arr! but no, like he gently came. And that had to be hard because I think if I were him, I don't think I would have been as gracious with me, frankly. But he was because he was displaying Christ. He got a glimpse of the, the amazing truth that's found here and he wanted to point me to Christ. And he was being obedient to what this text says that that gospel friendship or loving others is what Christ has appointed us to do. It's a, it's a commandment. Look again at verses 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. He's appointed us to go and bear much fruit. There is grace for us to engage in hard relationships. He wants us to succeed in loving one another. Because before this, he calls us to abide in him. As we've talked about, as we abide in him, we can bear much fruit. So he's going to empower us. Because he says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. We can say, Father, help me to love this individual. Help me, Lord, to be loving. Help me to just have a hard attitude to love. Maybe it's not that there's somebody who you're in conflict with. Maybe it's just that you would come on a Sunday morning just with an outward awareness. Hey, the people who are walking through the door, they need to know that they're loved by God because of what Christ has done. So when, when you stand at the door to greet people and you are smiling you're not just doing what you're asked to do to be on the greeting team. You are extending the love of Christ. 
Or when you're serving in some capacity, you are extending the love of Christ because you're laying your life down so that others can be served. When you serve in Harvest Kids, you are laying your life down so that parents can engage with worship and God's word together while the kids are also engaging in worship and God's word together. When you're serving small group by watching the kids or by making a snack, you are loving by laying down your life. So many different practical ways of what Christ has appointed us to do. But even in the midst of this, even though we've been through a hard season and uh, Based on how I read the epistles, uh, churches have had challenges with one another and there's been a need to encourage one another and exhort one another. Christ wants us to bear fruit to the glory and praise of his name. Because Jesus said in John 13, he said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, the relationships that we have with one another are one of the significant ways that Christ uses to open the eyes of unbelievers to see something that they don't see anywhere else. A hodgepodge group of people that look different, that come from different walks of life, that make different amounts of money, and they gather together every Lord's Day, and they gather in other contexts, and they raise their hands together, and they clap even when some of them don't want to clap, and they, they fellowship with one another, and they eat soup together after church. And they do. Why would they do that? Who does that? I mean, I'm sleeping in on Sunday. And when they finally ask the question, it's like, well, I love them because of, of this man, Jesus, and what he has done for me. Let me tell you about him. When I tell you about him, then when you, when you come and you experience something you've never experienced before, when you're in the midst of the body of believers, you're going to want to know him and you're going to leave everything to follow him. And that's my prayer for us as a church. That the, the community around us, the world around us as we're engaged in sending people out, Lord willing in the future to plant churches, they know that we're Christians because we love one another. But we must look to Christ if we are going to love one another. And we're going to take some time right now to take communion together.